Hello everybody, FPL teacher here and good evening. A big congratulations goes out to people who took the risk to own Rian Mares as his second half blitz saw City bid Spurs 4-2. We will also look at what Spurs did right in the opening stages of the match. What they did to take a 2-0 lead and ultimately how City persisted with a certain midfield connection to mount this epic comeback. Manchester City, whose formation numbers really I will quote later simply because they morphed so often and even if they did hold a consistent formation, we have to talk about the positionings of their back three as well as their midfield two because of their influence on the players in the final third. No matter what formation City played, they always had five players up front where Grealish would occupy Emerson Royale, Gunawan and Haaland would occupy the two dominant centre-backs and Mares really was constantly isolated against Perisic on the right flank. Without Bernardo or KDB starting, Julian Alvarez operated on the right half space essentially as a second striker, a hard-working second striker, almost similar to the way he worked for Messi and Argentina during the World Cup, attempting to break past backlines but really just using himself as a decoy in order to create space for that Mares Haaland connection. The narratives and the highlight reels will focus on Mahrez's contributions this match. But really, we have to focus on what City's back five did in order to set the stage for Mahrez to shine. In the first half itself, we have to note that he had essentially no assistance on the outside, as Rico Lewis from right back moved into midfield to form a midfield duo with Rodri. So here is where things get really interesting because Nathan Ake's role decided to turn City into a 2-3-5 by joining Rodri and Lewis in midfield. If not, he would hang back and maintain a defensive three so that the two midfielders would operate in tandem. In the first half itself, Ake attempted to move into midfield, but it meant that City's ball retention suffered heavily simply because of the attentions of Bentoko. This led to Ake's second solution by forming a back three with the two centre-backs but this time pulling extremely out wide all the way on the left side where Stones would also drift out to the right-hand side forcing Rodri to drop back as a fourth centre-back whenever City had the ball. This was a calamitous moment where Bentacore took full advantage by charging into Rodri winning the ball for Kulusevsky's opener. That being said, Ake's positioning in the second half was irrelevant as they got their two goals so quickly straight after the restart. That being said, Rodri was the main star here as he used Lewis's runs as a decoy receiving layoffs off the young midfielder in order to play passes through for the likes of Mares. Now I'm not pushing Rodri as an FPL asset here, but in this particular matchup, without KDB or Bernardo Silva on the field, and with Gunawan really high up alongside Haaland, Rodri was the person with the most influence in the final third. At the same time, it also has to be said that Rodri's significance will dictate the course of the match, and it's very likely that he will choose to favour the side that receives his mid-range chipped passes. Haaland received them towards the end of the first half for one of his two big chances and at the same time, 
Riyad Mahrez, we know, as you can see from the highlights, would be the ones also driving beyond the back, back line, receiving beautiful chipped passes from Rodri to cut back for the likes of Fulen, Arvarez and whatnot. Now, it has to be said that they did take some risks defensively in order to maintain their dominance throughout the 90 minutes. Nathan Ake was basically the epicenter of everything good and horrendous about Man City defensively as he continued to turn the screws on Kulusevsky. The individual duels between the two became more and more intense as the second half wore on, both bordering on yellow card fouls on, on each other. But really, in the end, Ake came out on top until at least Kulusevsky was shifted to right wing back. Spurs, finally a 3-4-3 with the perfect pair of midfielders. This time round, Hoybjerg was partnered with Rodrigo Bentacor, who finally was restored into the starting eleven post-World Cup. Now, this gave Spurs a newfound dynamism all across the pitch from building up at the back where Rodrigo Bentaco would drop between centre-back and outside centre-back in order to prompt Ben Davis forward. It was noted that Bisuma and even Pape Sar last game attempted to do the same, but really it was that passing quality that Bentaco offered, able to receive passes from the goalkeeper and play it first time into midfield. That particular skill set was just so vital that it enabled Spurs to at least hold possession going into the final third. Secondly and crucially, in their set defence, Hoiberg in their 5-4-1 formation would be the midfielder that broke out of that middle layer of four, pressing down City's midfielders where necessary. In his absence over the previous game weeks, Hoiberg would be the one pushing out and the unfortunate thing was that he timed his presses so poorly that usually teams would play around him or behind him. Now, with Bentoko at the helm, his first priority after winning the ball would usually occur on the right side, which favours Kulusevsky. If Bentakova maintains his place in the starting eleven, it's there is absolutely no doubt that Kulusevsky would take full advantage of that right half space where he would receive the ball, carbon copy, to where he scored from today. Now, it has to be said that when City came back and were leading 3-2, Conte started moving his usual pieces of bringing personnel on to offer different skill sets. Rancis and Yon came on for even Perisic in direct opposite of what he did against Arsenal. Instead of offering presence in the box, Rancesinion basically charged forward with the ball on multiple occasions, eventually looking for Kane, who set up the likes of Kulusevsky and Co. Now, their second substitution, a more reliable and consistent one, involved bringing Richarlison on, shifting Kulusevsky to right wing back. This provided a two-fold advantage. Number one, increasing the space between Nathan Ake and Kulusevsky, who started favouring the left back. Secondly, it also allowed Richarlison to drift into midfield in order to link Harry Kane with Bentaco. As the double-ups continued to be more obvious, it was just unfortunate that Jack Grealish had the discipline to actually defend all the way down that left-hand side, eventually nullifying this threat. But for Spurs, this is a reliable and significantly better threat going forward, rather than having Son or Kane drift over to the half-space, eventually crossing for nobody. 
Lastly, it has to be said that any investment in Spurs' defence is definitely a no-go for a relatively new reason, and it is to rule themselves out as a potential top six contender. The way they lost their heads after conceding the equaliser basically show a lack of leadership, particularly from Hugo Lloris, who made multiple questionable decisions, especially on the second goal, where he tried to capitalise on an extremely loose cross, but he dived forward extremely low, making almost no attempt to win the ball aerially. And it just goes to show that it, it is these lapses in judgment that will cost Spurs in the long run. In fact, it's already costing Spurs in the short run here as Spurs continue to define themselves not by moments of high quality but in terms of calamitous errors. Forgive the slightly indulgent episode today as this marks the halfway point of reviewing every Premier League game so far. Episode 190 is significant here because it firmly establishes a top 2 and furthermore it rules out Spurs as a top 6 elite class team. This is FPL Teacher giving you all his energy and blessings for Chinese New Year as his arrow continues to be red and redder and redder for the sake of everyone's arrows being green. See you after the weekend.